Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. You are listening to the Build Your Network podcast. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another amazing episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with Michelle Seiler-Tucker. Michelle is a 20-year veteran in mergers and acquisitions and has sold hundreds, literally hundreds, guys. Like that's a that's a big number, okay? Hundreds of businesses and is recognized as the leading authority on buying, selling, fixing, and growing businesses. And she has a new book out called Exit Rich, which we're going to talk about today. It's going to be such a fun conversation. But first, really quickly, if you are somebody who likes to go on podcasts as a guest. Maybe you are an expert, a consultant, a coach, an author. You're looking to promote your ideas through getting on podcasts. Then head over to our new software platform that we built out recently called Guestio. That's guestio.com and create a free account over there. There's a lot of podcasters on there searching for guests. There's a lot of guests on there searching for podcasters. Great marketplace to connect with other people. In fact, we have some really high level folks on there that you can just pay to bring them on your show or you can pay to go on their show people that you normally wouldn't have access to. So guestio.com to check out some of those who create your account totally free and start browsing through those lists today. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you, Travis. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. 
Yes, ma'am, of course. So first off, before we get into your story, I want to mention your book to make sure that we uh, send, some, uh, send some people over uh, your way. So before we jump into the rest of the story here and build some context for the book, can you give me just one or two quick high-level examples of what you want people to take from the book and then where they can go find it? And then we'll kind of d- dive into context after that. So my book is Exit Rich. It's an Inc. original, and it's been endorsed by Steve Forbes. And Steve Forbes says eight out of 10 businesses will not sell. So he says everybody should read Exit Rich. (laughs) And then Sharon Lecter is my co-author. Sharon Lecter wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki. She's a five times New York Times bestselling author. Plus she's written several books in the Napoleon Hill Foundation. And then we have many other endorsements. But the big takeaway from the, the book is, you know, the business climate has really changed. It used to be that startups were at great risk that 95% of startups will go out of business. Well, now out of 27.6 million companies, those businesses have been in business 10 years or longer. 70% of those businesses are at risk of going out of business. Wow. So an exit rich, I know, and you know, you say, wow, because nobody really hears that, right? Everybody's used to the startups going out of business, but nobody's used to businesses being in business 10 years going out of business. But we hear about the private, the public companies all the time, like Toys R Us was in business 70 years, went out of business, Kmart, JCPenney, Montgomery Ward, GNC, it's closing down 900 locations. And the list goes on and on. But what you don't hear about, Travis, are all the small businesses on every street corner in every town and every state across our great nation. These businesses are dropping like flies and they're being forced to sell for pennies on the dollar. They're being forced to close their business or even worse, file bankruptcy. So I wrote Exit Rich not to just think about selling your business, but I wrote it as a blueprint so you could build a sustainable, scalable business. So when you are ready to sell, you actually have a sellable asset. Got it. Okay, perfect. So I I wanted to ask that question just to make sure that uh, people understand what the book is. Where can they go grab a copy? Sure, they can go grab a copy at exitrichbook.com because we're in the middle of pre-sales. And at exitrichbook.com, they can actually buy the the book cheaper than Amazon. It's $24.79. They, they will receive the digital copy immediately. Once they receive the digital copy, then we will send them the hardcover to their doorstep when the book comes out. And they will also get free access, lifetime access to Exit Rich Book Membership Club. And that's where they'll receive training, video training from me, but they'll also receive documents. So every document that you need in your business to be sustainable, like an employee um, ha- uh, non-compete, an employee handbook, organizational charts, sample due diligence checklist, sample letter of intent, sample purchase agreements, or sample closing documents. All of these documents are in our book club and they can download them as well. Plus, they'll get a 30-day membership into Club CEOs, which is a mastermind that I started with like-minded entrepreneurs to do Q&As, hot seats, and masterminds. Wow. So... I am glad that I asked about uh, where to go pick up a copy. So in this case, guys, (laughs) don't go to Amazon, go to exitrichbook.com so you can get the book as well as all of the other bonuses and downloads that Michelle was just talking about, including the masterminds and those templates and everything like that. Um, So much value packed into just the price of the book, which is is amazing. So exitrichbook.com. You guys know every time we recommend a book here on the show, go do it now so you don't forget. Uh, life gets busy, life, life gets in the way. So go to exitrichbook.com right now. Go to, uh, pick up a copy of uh, Michelle's book. Now, Michelle, I want to talk with you now a little bit about context and uh, bring your story into this. Set the scene for us of your childhood home. Where did you grow up? What were your parents like? What were your you know goals, aspirations at the time? 
I grew up in Long Beach, California, born in Long Beach, California. My father is from a family of 12 siblings. So he woke up one day, mad at his siblings and decided he's going to move myself and my three brothers to Texas. (laughs) (laughs) No way. We're out in Texas. We moved to Austin. (laughs) Got it. Yeah. So basically in the middle of the night, he's like, we're moving. (laughs) Sold his business. He did it very quickly. My father owned an eggplant. So he sold his business, moved us to Texas, to Austin, Texas, moved away from all the siblings, and then three of them followed us to Texas. <laughs> and so then I really grew up in Texas. I've lived in Austin, you know, San Antonio, Dallas, and now own a business in Houston. I've lived everywhere but Houston. And oh, wow. now so, I live in New Orleans. Got it, got it. And so you've, you, I mean, you probably witnessed the transformation of Austin then, huh? I did. You know, well, I was a little girl when I moved there. Um, I think I moved there when I was 11. And then, you know, I moved to San Antonio and then I moved to Dallas. I've been back to Austin many times and it has really transformed from when, you know, from when I was 11 years old. Yes, ma'am. Exactly. So I'm curious on what, what point you decided that this was going to be the path for you. And you said you're, that your dad owned a business was he the only one in your family or were there multiple entrepreneurs that you kind of learned from and gleaned no, from? Like was, what, what sparked the, the business? Yeah, he was really the only one. And I think, you know, I can't really say what sparked the interest, but I've always, like as a little girl, I was not your typical little girl. You're not going to see me playing with toys or playing with dolls. Mm-hmm. I would walk around with a notebook in my hand and, and pen and I would walk up to strangers and ask them a bunch of questions. <laughs> so my mother, <laughs> My mom always said, oh, my God, she's going to be the next Barbara Walters. She's going to be Barbara Walters or she's going to be Oprah. She's going to be somebody famous. <laughs> I think I was just curious. Like, I, I'm always mm. curious about people. And I knew I was going to be a writer at some point because I always like to write. I've always liked people. And then I started, you know, I think I had my first business. I wasn't that young, but I started in um, owner, business ownership pretty young. And I've owned many different businesses, but then I kind of got stuck in corporate America. I went to work at Xerox. Xerox actually recruited me. And I was there for about six months until they, my nickname was The Closer. Mm-hmm. So when somebody couldn't close a deal, they would call me. And then um, within six months, my, my manager came to me and said, Michelle, you need to apply for regional vice president. They said, look, I think you have a good chance, but you probably won't get it. Because you're going to be up against people who have been here for, you know, 5, 10, 15 years. And you've been here all of six months. Hmm. I said, well, if I'm not going to get it, why should I do it? And she said, well, it's a three-month process. And you'll learn a lot during the process. So I said, okay, I'll do that. And she's right. You know, it was a three-month grueling process. You know, doing uh, demonstrations, question and answers, presentations with all high-level executives. And I ended up getting the position. So I guess I really am a closer. Uh, No way. So I got the position and then I realized how much I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. And real real, real quick too, uh, just to clarify, what's the timeline here? Like, where are you in in life at this point? I would say that was in um, 1997, 96, 97. Okay. So at what stage of your career? I had owned publishing companies. I owned printing businesses. I owned different businesses that I had sold. Yeah. And so then, so I hated it. So, you know, and that's the worst decision that sometimes companies make is they promote the number one salesperson in the management. Not good. Mm, yeah. Right. <laughs> so anyway, but what I liked was I liked the six figure check. I liked the benefits. You know, I loved all that. I, I, I knew I could climb up that corporate ladder very quickly with Xerox. 
Um, but I missed entrepreneurship. So I started researching for a business to buy and I stumbled across a franchise. My husband knew one of the partners and I said, look, I want to buy your franchise. I want to buy a franchise from y'all that I can operate, you know, on the side. I'll hire people, I'll operate on the side. And they said, no, we know your husband. We know of you. We know your nickname is a closer. We want you to partner with us and then we'll just give you a franchise. We want you to help us put us on the map. Mm. And I said, well, you're not very successful. You have two locations. <laughs> I said, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I, you know, I'm not going to risk a six-figure position. I said, but I'll try it for six months and see how it goes. So I worked nights, weekends, flew out to different trade shows, you know, held my own trade shows, my own events, I mean, and ended up selling lots of franchises, made more money in six months than I made an entire year at Xerox. I really put them on the map and sold hundreds and hundreds of franchises for them. But the problem became that they started under-promising, I mean, over-promising and under-delivering because they do what a lot of companies do. They go out there and market, make the sales, but they didn't build the foundation to handle the business. Mm. And if you don't build a solid foundation on what I call the six cylinders, the six Ps, as outlined in Exit Rich, then your, your house is going to come crumbling around you. And that's what was happening with them. So I was always in the mid. I was always, it seemed like I was always fighting with them because I'm team franchisee and they wanted me to be team franchisor. <laughs> and yeah. I'm taking it up for my clients. So, anyway, I ended up um, having them buy me out and I transitioned into my MA career selling businesses. And that was um, okay. about 2000, you know, 1999, 2000. Okay, got it. So I, if, if you'll indulge me for a second, Michelle, I want to rewind the clock uh, because I want to, I want to ask you just about young adult life and young adult career and where you went from high school and like how you got into the position at Xerox, at Xerox to begin with. Because a lot, of, a lot of people listen to this show are early on in their career or their business career. You know, maybe they're in their 40s, but they've been working a job and now they're transitioning into business. So I, I think that would be valuable to at least talk about, you know, transitioning from you know, high school into early adult life and then into Xerox. Um, if I can remember all of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so first off, first off college, yes or no. And how did it go with yes? Yes. On college went in a completely different field than what I'm in right now, but also went back and, and became an M&A, mergers and acquisitions, mastering intermediaries, senior business analyst, and all this other stuff, but really started out in the medical profession because I have owned different businesses, but I always had a sweet spot in the medical profession and thought I wanted to be a doctor, a surgical nurse, you know, wanted to do that type of stuff. And then I learned very quickly that that's not the right path for me. Got it. Got it. So you place a fairly high value on, on schooling then, yes? I do. I, I Well, I place a high value on schooling. Yes. I think everybody, you know, should... I do and I don't. And let me tell you, I'm kind of I'm kind of back and forth. And let me tell you why. I met some amazing entrepreneurs that have built multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar companies and they have an eighth grade education. You know, and, and have you ever read the book Rich Dad Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki and Sharon Lecter? Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. So I am for education, but I'm also for entrepreneurship. I'm for, you know, not going out there and just getting a stable job and, you know, working nine to five and just working to pay your bills. Yeah. You know, I'm also for entrepreneurship. So I do believe in school education. I do believe in going to college, but I also believe in getting mentors. I also believe that your network equals your net worth. Mm -hmm. I also believe that, you know, you are who you surround yourself with. And 
like I said, though, I've, I've got some brilliant, brilliant business people that never went to college right. and they're amazing right. entrepreneurs. Okay. So you get into business, you own and sell a couple of businesses early on. Xerox recruits you, you come in, you go through that corporate ladder, end up getting connected with this franchise company. And now you're done with that. They buy you out and you're starting mergers and acquisitions. Talk to me about what that beginning stage looked like. Like, were you initially just consulting? Were you putting deals together? Were you buying and selling businesses? What what exactly were you doing there? Yeah. So, you know, I thought, okay, when they buy me out, what am I going to do next? And I mean, obviously I can sell franchises. I can do franchise development, franchise consulting, because that's what I did. But I decided, you know, I'm going to transition to selling businesses because many buyers that I work with don't want to buy a franchise. They want to buy an existing business. So I thought to myself, how hard could it be to go from selling a new franchise to selling an existing business? How hard could it be? It's very different. It's it's much more difficult because there's a lot more moving parts to sell an existing business than to sell in a brand new franchise. Hmm. So I transitioned into selling businesses. I started my firm. I started selling small businesses in the beginning, you know, your typical restaurants, flower shops, laundromats, car washes, things of that nature. And then transitioned pretty quickly into selling larger businesses, $10 million and up. Also figured out pretty quickly that eight out of 10 businesses won't sell that Steve Forbes is right. <laughs> and so I really need to start, you know, fixing businesses. I need to start fixing businesses and um, start with a build to sell program. So the business is sellable because most businesses that go into market will never sell. And so that's when I kind of transitioned into buying and partnering with business owners, you know, with my build to sell method, getting businesses to operate on the six P's and then building them to sell to, to one of our buyers. I mean, we have over 25,000 buyers in our database. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is, uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is, is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash 
Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So let's talk about that then for a second, Michelle. You mentioned the six Ps a couple of times, so I'm sure the audience's interest is peaked in that regard. Can you walk <laughs> us through those really quickly and, and why they're so important? So they're very important because, like I said, the franchisor that I partnered with never built a solid foundation, and a lot of businesses don't. And you have to ask yourself, why are 70% of businesses going out of business after being in business 10 years? Well, there's many reasons for that. But number one is because they really never build that solid foundation or they stop what I call AIM. And AIM is always innovate and market, always innovate and market. And it's like Toys R Us. They did nothing different for 70 years. Blockbuster sold Netflix. They saw what Netflix was doing. They had the opportunity to buy them. They did nothing. And they became obsolete, you know. So the first P is people. You don't build a business. You build people and people build the business. Mm. Many business owners... They work on their, they work in their business rather than on their business. Many business owners have created a job in which they go to work to every day versus a business that actually works for them. So people is very important. If you want to build a sustainable business that runs without you, you need to have the right people in the right seats. You need to ask the who question, who opens the doors, who deals with customer service, who deals with tech issues, who deals with, you know, IT security, who deals with theft, <laughs> Who deals with accounting, legal issues, manufacturing, distribution, logistics, the list goes on and on. The, the clue here, Travis, is you should never be next to the who. So you need to build a business that runs without you because buyers want to buy a business, not a job. And I'll give you a couple quick examples. Dentist. One dentist has dentists, you know, has um, assistants, but one dentist. You pull that dentist out of the practice, what do you have? Nothing. You have no business. Chiropractic, same thing. One chiropractor. Pull that chiropractic out of the business, what do you have? The list goes on and on and on. Businesses are not sellable if they are dependent upon the owner. Mm. You have to focus on your strengths and hire out your weaknesses. You say you shouldn't be shouldn't be next to the who? Is that was that the phrase that you said earlier? Yeah, you should not be next to the who. Got you it. need to have a name in your business that does all the who stuff. You, mm. know, you should have somebody that handles the accounting, have somebody that handles that. Because the more that you can eliminate yourself, and you're not going to do this in the beginning, this takes time. Sure. In the beginning, when you start a business or buy a business, you're doing a, you're wearing a lot of different hats, right? Right. But the goal is to stop wearing all those hats and start putting the right people in the right seat and start assigning the right people to the different who does the different task in your business. And it shouldn't be you because if your business is dependent upon you and something happens to you, then you might not have a business anymore. Right. Or it's not sellable. First P is people. Right. Second then, P is product. Okay. Product. What's what, what's about product? So product is big. So think about this. COVID, right? We heard of this thing called COVID. <laughs> yeah. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you have to ask yourself, is your industry on the way up or on the way out? You can have an industry that's thriving and all of a sudden a catastrophic event happens like COVID or a hurricane or something that causes your industry to completely die. So you got to ask yourself, is your industry thriving or dying? Do you have an Amazon or do you have a Blockbuster? And if you have, if you have an Amazon, great. <laughs> if you have a Blockbuster, then you need to pivot, which is another P. You really need mm -hmm. to think outside the box. You need to maybe associate with a mentor, maybe go to masterminds, get in the right networking group and start asking transformational questions like, first and foremost, what business are you in? What do you do really well? And what business should you be in? I'll give you a quick 
example of this, Amazon. Yeah. Amazon started and they asked themselves, what business are we in? And they said, we're in the book business. We sell books. What do we do really, really, really well? We do fulfillment really well. What business should we be in? They said, we should be in the fulfillment business. Those three questions right there transformed Amazon from a bookseller to a multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate that they are today. Yeah. So product is huge. I mean, if you're in the wrong if you're in the wrong industry and you don't pivot, you don't acquire some another um, congruent revenue streams, you don't do something diversified, then you could be out of business very quickly. And that's what happened to Toys R Us. You know, Toys R Us stopped innovating. You know, when Amazon, whoever makes it easiest for the consumer to do business with them is a company that's winning. Amazon is winning because they make it so easy to do business with them. Yeah, they definitely do. I have like six packages on my porch to prove it. Exactly. <laughs> Me too. When I go home, I mean, it's like to, they just bought a bunch of planes. Why? So they could improve the customer experience and get packages there quicker. Yeah, I, I saw that actually. Added like 12 planes to their to their to their fleet or started their fleet, I guess actually with yep. uh, probably bought on discount from airlines that had to contract during COVID as well. They're smart. <laughs> and Amazon's always about the customer experience. How can we get it there? How can we improve the customer experience? How can we get there faster? You know, what? how can we make ourselves better? They really are all about that. And all about making it easy for the consumer to do business with them. Okay, so we have people, product. Process is a third P. Process, okay, got it. Yeah. So processes are very important, Travis. I mean, and, and most business owners don't think about processes. Like they never, they never develop a process until something bad in their company happens. Like if somebody gets gets hurt in a warehouse, oh, now we need a process for that. We need a safety process for that. If a customer, you know, complains, oh, we need a process for that. Processes yeah. should be designed from the beginning. Processes should be designed with the customer experience in mind. That's what Amazon does. That's what McDonald's does. Did you ever watch the movie The Founder? Uh, I have not actually. No. You got to watch that movie. Back in the forties, the McDonald's brothers started McDonald's, and they asked themselves this question. What do we want to do? We want to create a restaurant that delivers great tasting food fast two under, in two minutes or less. Because back in the 40s, they had the Sonic type drive ups. But back then, the food was always cold. The order was always wrong. wrong and it took so long to get their food. So the McDonald's brothers said, this is our customer experience that we want to achieve. We want customers to get great tasting food. It's hot. It's delivered two minutes or less. So they go to empty tennis courts. They take all their employees, they map it out on the tennis court, their processes, they erase it. They're there all day long to figure out who's going to take the customer orders, who's going to toast the buns, who's going to cook the burgers, who's going to put the, the pickles on the bun and give it to the client two minutes or less. Those processes designed with that customer experience in mind is why you can eat at a McDonald's anywhere in the world and receive the exact same experience. Got it. If you're somebody's listening right now and they're entrepreneurial, like kind of more sales, visionary minded, how do you recommend somebody like that start building processes? I find that. Yeah, so visionary people are not the best process people. Yeah, right. Entrepreneur <laughs> people. So so you have what I call, Travis, you have a visionary and you have an integrator, right? So Got the it. visionary is the entrepreneur. They're the people, the big picture ideas, the big visionaries. You know, they know how to blow everything up, but they don't know really how to make it all work. So mm. you always have to have an integrator that can take that visionaries ideas and incorporate that into the business 
into the different departments with the different management team, with the managers and make the vision come to life. And that really takes an integrator. That's not a visionary. Most visionaries are terrible process people. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm, and I'm laughing because I'm speaking from personal experience there. So I won't bore with any more process questions. So let's go on to <laughs> the, the fourth P. Yeah. The only other thing I want to add to that processes is that processes should also be productive, efficient, and most importantly, Travis, they need to be well documented. You need to have policy and procedure, procedure manuals. You need to have SOP checklists. You need to make sure the clients are signed off on it because if you're selling a business, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars, guess what the buyer is going to want? Yeah. They're going to want to see this. And a lot of business businesses don't have processes in writing. You be, mm -hmm. You'd be surprised how many don't have that. So the fourth P and the most valuable P, meaning the highest driver. So most businesses are evaluated on a multiple, a multiple of EBITDA. EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. The highest multiple is driven by this P, proprietary. Proprietary. There's six pillars to proprietary. I'll go through them really quickly for you. Number one is branding. The more well-branded a business is, the more we can sell their business for as long as that brand is still relevant in the mind of the consumer, mm -hmm. meaning that nobody's going to pay anything for Blockbuster because Blockbuster went bust, right? Right, right, exactly. Right. So who's the biggest brand in the world? Do you know? I would guess a Amazon. Or well, Apple. You got you got that you got the A right, but it's Apple. <laughs> yeah, that, that that was the second guess. I don't know if I don't know if you heard the second guess there, but yeah, it was Apple. Oh no, I didn't hear the second guess. So 180. So so Apple alone is worth 189 billion dollars. That's wow. without furniture, fixtures, equipment, inventory, assets, EBITDA, anything, just the brand. Wow. So build your brand because the more well branded you are, the more that you will get for the sale of your business. And then the other thing that's really valuable in business, Travis, is trademarks, trademarks. You'd be surprised how many business owners go open up a company, you know, especially entrepreneurs, startups, and they go get a state trademark, but they never check the federal database to see if there's a federal trademark available. So they might be operating mm. underneath a state trademark, never knowing that somebody else has a federal trademark and they can all of a sudden get a sys and desist letter. And guess what? They have to stop using that name. And if you wow. have to stop using your company name, you got to rebrand all over again. Right. right. There goes your branding. Yeah, exactly. There goes your branding. So protect your company name, protect your slogan. You know, if you have a slogan, like even Exit Rich, I, I, I register that. Make sure you protect it. Also, patents are huge. So if you have anything unique, get a patent on it. Do you ever watch Shark Tank? Yes. What's the questions they always ask? Every shark, they always ask the same question. <laughs> yep. Do you have a patent? Yeah. Do you have a patent? Do you have a patent? Do you have a patent? Or what kind of patent do you have? Yeah, right. And then contracts are also very valuable. So manufacturing contracts, distributor contracts. If you're a franchisor starting out and you have franchisee contracts, licensee contracts, contracts are very valuable. The most valuable of all contracts are your client contracts. Mm. So there's a lot of companies, you know, like we're selling a commercial landscaper that has a bunch of commercial contracts. Or so agricultural business that has 150 contracts. So buyers love contra client contracts because they want to walk into a business that has recurring revenue, that has WIP, what we call work in progress, and that has money coming in, that has money flowing in. So contracts are big. Here's the biggest mistake with contracts, Travis. Most business owners never include the two-sentence transferability clause. And what is that? 
it says this contract is transferable upon the sale of this business or upon. Oh, the, no way. Yeah. Yep. And it <laughs> has to because here's the deal 99.9% .9 of all sales are asset sales, they're not stock sales. So unless your contract is transferable, then the deal is not going to happen. So, so many deals fall apart because the contracts are not transferable. So go add a two-sentence transferability clause. <laughs> Ouch. I know. Ouch. It sounds simple, <laughs> but it's huge. And it right. can make or break your deal. It sounds like it. Sounds like it. <laughs> and then the other valuable thing in, in IP is databases. So you could be losing money, Travis, on a business. You could be hemorrhaging. And still, if you have any of these synergies I'm talking about, like a contract, a customer database, or yeah. patent, you can still sell your business for a lot of money. Facebook mm. paid $19 billion for WhatsApp, $19 billion, and WhatsApp was hemorrhaging. But WhatsApp had a synergy that Facebook wanted. They had a billion users, and Facebook knew they could ROI that. Facebook knew that they could get a return on their investment. So Facebook paid $19 billion for that company. So databases are huge, especially if they can be retargeted and repurposed. Yeah. And then the other thing in IP is let's say that you have a man, let's say that you have um, a, a diet company, weight loss, and you're being endorsed by Glenn Beck or Rush Limbaugh or Oprah Winfrey or somebody like that. That's huge. Celebrity endorsements are huge and very difficult to get. Mm. So a strategic buyer would be interested in your business because they want that celebrity endorsement. They might be able to use them for other products they have. Does that make sense? Yes, ma'am. Definitely does. And Definitely then let's does. say that you're manufacturing bedding and you're number one, you're number one on Wayfair. You know how many strategists would love to be number one on Wayfair? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, right. Same thing with Amazon. So that's all IP. And then the fifth P is Patreons. Patreons is the feel in your business. These are your customer base. Most businesses fall in the 80-20 rule where 80% of their business comes from 20% of their clients. Mm -hmm. If they lose one or two clients, they literally could be out of business. So you want to build customer diversification, not customer concentration, and make sure you're asking your clients, what do you need? What do you want? And how can I make it easier for you to do business with us? Got it. Got it. And a, a lot of businesses too, Travis, are aging out. So they've been in business 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Their customers are aging out. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you got to makes a lot of sense. And then the last P, probably everybody's favorite P, why we're all in business P, is profits. Yes. Everybody wants to make money. The reason I put profits last is because clients come to me all the time and say, Michelle, I have a profit problem. I'm like, no, you don't. You have a people problem. You don't have the right people in the right seats, or you have a process problem, or you haven't protected your IP. Profits is never the problem. It's always a symptom of not running on one of the other five Ps. That makes a lot of sense. So uh, if assuming you have all the five or all the six Ps done and buttoned up, then at this point, that's when you can start to look to exit the business that you're in. Correct. Got it. And where do people go, you know, to enroll somebody's services like you? Like, how, how, like if somebody's if somebody's like, yeah, you know, I checked all the boxes when you were talking through them. I can maybe use a little bit of help here, a little bit of help there. But for the most part, we got everything, you know, ironed out. Like, how do they go about selling their business? And then what's the typical timeline? Because I think this is one thing that a lot of people are uh, severely underestimate. So the typical timeline, you know, just I'll tell you, that's all over the map. The average time it takes to sell a business in the United States is about a year. Yeah. But I will tell you, the company that has, uh, companies that have EBITDA of over a million dollars and operating pretty much on all six Ps, those companies will sell quick. A million dollars you're talking on an annual basis in Correct. EBITDA. Okay. Correct. Oh, EBITDA of over a million dollars. So that's, again, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. Why do those businesses sell quicker? Because there's more buyers 
for good businesses and there are good businesses to buy. So mm. there's private equity groups, strategic buyers. There's five different types of buyers. So private equity, strategic competitors, serial entrepreneurs, they're all looking for those types of businesses and they're not as easy to find. So when we get businesses, and most of our businesses have an EBITDA of over a million, but we sell them pretty quick. Businesses that are less than that could take longer. So it really depends upon the industry, depends upon where it's located, depends upon, you know, how involved is the owner? Do they operate on all six cylinders? You know, there, there's a lot of different things. Plus, it depends upon how compliant the owner is. A lot of times, the business owner holds up to sell. Yeah, right. I, I wish I had more time to ask you, too, about the buying side, because I find that, I mean, that's a whole separate conversation, obviously. Uh, which I can come can back on. I was going to say, uh, we can have you back <laughs> on, do a part two um, at some point to talk about what to look for when you buy businesses and how to do it and, and, and how to do it without paying all up front and how to do different deal structures and stuff. Um, so I'm, that's my I'm, next uh, book, Travis. There we go. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. So when that comes out, we'll bring you back on, Michelle. Um, but in an effort to, to, to button up this conversation, I got to ask you this one question about networking, and then we're going to move into the last segment here, the random round. So here's my question on this. And I'm curious to hear your answer because you're extremely well-educated and you know your stuff extremely well, but you also have some amazing relationships, uh, which you've already kind of talked about. So who you know or what you know? Michelle, which of those two do you find to be the more important asset in life and why? I would say who you know. Why is that? Because if you if you meet the right person, I've met so many amazing people. If you meet the right person, you can always grow. You can grow yourself. You can grow your business by meeting the right person and really developing that relationship. I've met Arnold Schwarzenegger. I met Rudy Giuliani. Hate him or love him. I met Donald Trump, <laughs> mm, yeah. Eric Trump. And some of these individuals have really helped me grow as a person and grow my company. I mean, I've met Donna Karen. I met, like I said, Randy Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg's sister. So I think a lot of it is, is who you know. It is important to, to be knowledgeable, but I really think it's about who you know. I think your network equals your net worth. And I think you can really grow so much more as an entrepreneur with the right network. I could not agree more. And that is exactly why we started this show, Build Your Network, which I appreciate you coming on, Michelle. Let's go ahead and move into the last segment, the random round, just quick random questions, quick random answers. You ready? Sure. What's a profession other than your own? Do you think that it would be fun to attempt? You know, that's funny because I own many different businesses in many different industries. But one thing I've always thought would be fun is fashion designer. <laughs> ah, nice. <laughs> Yeah. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and chat for an hour, who would it be? Oprah. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? Uh, really all of the above. I try to read, you know, I try to read at least a couple chapters a day, but books, um, I, do re I do listen to audio, uh, Bob Proctor primarily, and I make my 10-year-old listen to him too. So, but really all of the above, podcast, books, audio. What is your go-to pump-up song? My go-to pump-up song? I like money, money, money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I like money too. So yeah, that's a good, that's a good selection. <laughs> um, uh, what is something that you are just not very good at? Mm, probably not very good at not being direct. <laughs> <laughs> ah. <laughs> which really isn't that bad of a thing. Yeah. Um, 
Cool. Awesome. Well, uh, Michelle, thanks so much for coming on. As we get everything wrapped up here, what is one place online where our listeners can go to connect with you the most? So they can definitely go to exitrichbook.com. Exitrichbook.com is um, where they can go get the book. And then I'll give my other website, which is silertucker.com. Silertucker.com is our main website. Sweet. Awesome. So exitrichbook.com. Um, guys, if you listen to this conversation, you didn't get anything out of it. It's because you weren't actually paying attention. So if you did get something out of it, which is everybody, then go to exitrichbook.com, pick up a copy of Michelle's book and dive deep into each of these six P's that we're talking about and learn how to implement these in your business so that you don't wake up in five, 10 years trying to sell and completely frustrated and end up having to just close everything down instead of exiting for a big payday. So Uh, Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the show and providing such amazing tactical, practical advice and strategies for the entrepreneurs that are in the audience. I had a fantastic time chatting with you. Thank you, Travis. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Looking forward to coming back on. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.